today on Abounding Grace from Pastor Ed Taylor. The situations in our lives that come to us reveal a lot about ourselves to us, to others. But if we're paying attention, we're going to learn a lot about ourselves. I mean, here you are, you thought you were so strong. Here you are, you just experienced the greatest victory in your life. Here you are, just things are going so well and so strong, and at the simple words of someone, or a simple memory, or you name what has come your way, the revelation of a lack of faith, or, or inward anger, or things that you thought you dealt with, here they are again, so that the Lord can deal with them again. This is amazing grace. Christmas time is often referred to as the most wonderful time of the year. But for many, it's filled with anxiety and depression. And maybe that's where you're at today. That's where we find the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings 19. You might recall he just experienced a great spiritual high and a victory on Mount Carmel. But now he's in a valley of discouragement and fearful. It's something we can all go through from time to time. So let's see together how God will meet us when we're down today on Abounding Grace. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor. 1 Kings chapter 19. Now often the Bible uses the phrase or the word mountaintop, or we might use that, to display God's power and to display God's intimacy and his closeness to us. Mountaintops often reflect a devotional life and sacrifice to God. It's on the mountaintop that Moses receives the law. It's on a mountaintop that Jesus appears transfigured. It's on mountaintops that the disciples draw near in prayer. And as we learned last time, it's on a mountaintop that Elijah defeats the prophets of Baal. I mean, the, the greatest victory in his life, or one of the greatest victories in his life, the power of God. But the reality is, is we don't live on the mountaintops. That's not where we place our tents. We, we live in the valleys of reality. Sometimes that's a valley of the shadow of death, and sometimes it's just the reality of walking through the valley. When Jesus was transfigured, the Bible says this in Matthew chapter 17, verse 8. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. That was closeness and intimacy. But coming down from the mountaintop, they were met with a desperate dad, a faithless generation and a demon-possessed son. They were met with unbelief, and they were met with warfare. So that Mark records in Mark chapter 9, verse 8, suddenly when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore but Jesus with themselves. Then the next scene in Mark is the disciples disputing with the scribes from glory to disputes so quickly. After the heights of triumph, there are the depths of despair and difficulty and warfare. Elijah in chapter 18 of 1 Kings had his own mountaintop. Great victory. God had built his faith all along the way to get him to that place of trusting in God for the fire to come down from heaven 
So much so, just keep pouring the water, keep pouring the water. Let's make sure that when God acts, I mean, it wasn't just simply a faith waiting, but it was also a faith trusting, and then it was a faith saying, man, I, I want only God to get the credit and the glory. I mean, if, if fire coming down from heaven wasn't enough for God to get all the glory, just keep pouring the water, keep pouring the water so that God, he, there's no mistake, no mistake of what God has done up on the mountaintop. So notice in verse 1 of chapter 19, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, thank you, Elijah, for helping clear... No, that's not what it says. <laughs> Read carefully. So let the gods, little g, do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose, and mark these words, ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. Even though Ahab, a king over God's people, has seen and experienced the very power of God, he still doesn't yield. Aren't there people you're praying for right now that part of your prayer sometimes is, Lord, if they could just see, if you could just show them something, it, just a little miracle, if you could just call a little, I mean, nothing that would hurt anybody, but just a little fire from heaven, <laughs> scare the horses a little bit, or just a little fire from heaven that will startle them, or can, can you just do something small? I mean, just, I'm not asking for like biblical proportions, just something to shake them. Would they, can they just feel what I feel for a moment? Can they just see with spiritual eyes what I see with spirit? Can you just lift the blindness just for a second? Remember Ahab saw great power. He experienced it, and it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough for him. He doesn't yield, he doesn't surrender, he doesn't repent. And that's what pride will do. It will harden the heart. It will push a person away from God. And accepting, instead of accepting the fact that Jehovah is the one true God, not only Ahab, but Jezebel, continue to turn farther away. And notice when he speaks to his wife in verse 1, notice how he describes what he saw. What he saw and the way he describes it is Ahab told Jezebel all Elijah had done. All that Elijah had done. That's how... He describes it. Elijah did it. Was it Elijah? Yes or no? Now, I guess you could do half a little bit. That's kind of a trick question. But I think it was something supernatural too with Elijah killing all those guys. But, but I mean, yeah, Elijah was involved, but God alone accomplished that. The, just like you and me. So many times we give credit to the messenger when it's not the messenger at all. It's the one that sent the message. And we have to train ourselves not to look to man. We're not to look to man when things are going well, and we're certainly not to look to man when things are not going well. We're to keep our eyes just like they did on the Mount, Mount of Transfiguration. When they looked around, they saw no one but Jesus. And then just a few moments later, oh, it's Jesus and themselves. And then a few moments later, they're back down the valley, and it's all the difficulty in, of life because that's the way life is. We have to be careful, keep our eyes on the Lord. We don't look at the instruments we look at the one holding and using the instrument. But Ahab, that's where he's stuck. He's stuck in the now. Look what Elijah did. 
And this ticked her off and upset her. She doesn't even clarify on what's recorded. Just like, hey, let the gods do to me and more if I don't make your life as the life of one of them. One of who? Well, the prophets. She, she's like, man, I heard about what you did. Nothing about the fire down from heaven. Nothing about the glory of God. Nothing about the challenge. Just the fact that he lost the false prophets and their gods, little G, the very God she's calling upon, failed. They failed. Because they didn't exist. They have eyes that don't see, ears that don't hear, hands that they're just, they're false. And they're fake. So she sends word that she's going to kill him. And knowing Elijah, where he came from, his closeness to God, the power that he witnessed and participated in, the things that he saw, the things that he heard. What do we think his response to this would be? Standing straight up to Jezebel and says, go for it. Do whatever you want to do. I stand for the Lord. That's what we would expect. Maybe it's an unrealistic expectation because he responded like a normal human being. That shouldn't surprise us, should it? Because when we were introduced to Elijah, what did we learn about him? He's a normal human being, a man with a nature just like ours. He's not a superhero. There aren't any superheroes. That's mythology. He was a normal man empowered by God. And instead of standing strong, instead of, hey man, you know what? With fire called down, if, I, if fire came down earlier, I'll call it down on you, Jezebel. You don't scare me. No, no, he was scared. He ran for his life in fear. I don't know if you noticed, we kind of read by, it says that he, he went to Judah and he left his servant there. <laughs> He's out of here. Like, you, you deal with her. You deal with this messenger. Jezebel, understand, Jezebel was a conniving, shrewd, manipulating woman. There are oftentimes that phrase, a Jezebel spirit, is used. Anytime she's described in the Bible, it is not good. You never want to be compared, ladies, to Jezebel. You never want to go on a date and the guy says at the end, you know, you remind me of Jezebel. That, that is not what you want. She's not a wise woman. She's not a woman that you want to model your life after. And often that's how things are. We're surrounded by shrewd, manipulating, passive-aggressive men and women. Of course, Jezebel at least is honest enough to not be passive. She's just aggressive. And she'll just take things in her own hands as we'll see her in the coming chapters. And yet, it's those that you would never suspect. It's often those that you've placed your trust in. Those that perhaps have gained your trust. And you'll be shocked often when their true colors are revealed. Let, let me show you. Turn over to Matthew chapter 23, would you? Matthew 23. It's often the ones that, that are revealed that shock you, that you would have never, ever thought in a million years that they would respond in such a way or act in such a way. Jezebel isn't so, so behind the scenes. She's not so passive. But this is the king's wife. You would expect the king of Israel's wife to be some kind of godly woman, but she wasn't. Notice with me Matthew chapter 23. Pick up in verse 27, would you? On the outside, so often sweet and kind and smiling, but inside there's rottenness. And, and Matthew tells us, uh, recording the words of Jesus, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, 
you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Here's the New Living Translation. How terrible it will be for you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. You try to look upright, you try to look upright people outwardly, but inside your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jezebel is a wicked woman, an evil woman. So much so, Jesus uses her as a wicked example, warning the church in Thyatira in the book of Revelation. And it's just so true. People can be very wicked, very deceitful. Jesus would also describe a group of people that are, are sheep in wolves' clothing, wanting to deceive. Paul would tell the elders in Ephesus, after my departure, savage wolves will rise up from among you, not sparing the flock. And it's always a startling revelation to find out who true believers are and who false believers are. And you'll know them, Jesus said, by their fruits. So, so far what you know about Jezebel, is she wicked or not? She's just a wicked to the core, calling on the same false gods that failed the prophets of Baal to go after the righteous man, Elijah. Now, turn our focus back just to a moment to Elijah and let's understand something. The threat of Jezebel reveals in Elijah a lack of faith. And let's just understand something about life. The situations in our lives that come to us reveal a lot about ourselves, to us, to others. But if we're paying attention, we're going to learn a lot about ourselves. I mean, here you are, you thought you were so strong. Here you are, you just experienced the greatest victory in your life. Here you are, just things are going so well and so strong, and at the simple words of someone, or a simple memory, or you name what has come your way, the revelation of a lack of faith, or, or inward anger, or things that you thought you dealt with, here they are again, so that the Lord can deal with them again. Fear and faith are mutually exclusive. Fear and faith. They're mutually exclusive. When you have a real faith in God, you will not be in fear. Real faith. Now, don't misunderstand me. This is living faith. This isn't like saving faith. Saving faith is that type of faith that now you're born again, and now you're living by faith, and you're living in faith. So when, when we speak of this, it's not like you lose your salvation, get it back, nothing like that. This is just the reality of life. Fear is minimized when faith is increased. Like we have a real trust in God, and we just know that he's going to take care of it. Fear is often a sign of a lack of faith, trusting in myself and my own resources, trusting in my situation and the way that I am estimating things. Elijah's discouraged, and he's fearful, as we'll get to in a moment. He's going through the reality of, of, of seeing his life for what it is in the moment and running away, away from God. He thought that when Ahab told Jezebel what had happened there, that it would finally get Ahab. This would be the time that, that fire comes down from heaven. The water is licked up. That surely Jezebel, surely Ahab, they would come to their senses. And how often have we been disappointed with the circumstances in life when people don't come to their senses as fast as we would want them to. And we continue to pay the price of their sin or their manipulation. 
she vows vengeance against Elijah. And it's a warning to us as we begin this chapter. It's a warning to every one of us that serve God and love him. Remember Elijah, because it's so many times when we face and experience spiritual success and progress and victory and the joy of victory, where we come to the place and go, man, this is it. We're kind of like Peter when he was at the Mount of Transfiguration. He says, I don't want to go down. We'll just put some tents here and we'll live here forever. I don't want to go down. Uh, we're, this is it. We've, we, this is the epitome of life, this kind of success. You, you share the gospel with a coworker and they get saved and you're just like, oh, I can't believe this. They didn't get saved at church. They didn't get saved listening to the radio. They, didn't get, they got saved in this cubicle. This cubicle became a church. And I prayed with my coworker right here at work. I can't believe it. On our break, but right here, on our, right here. And this is it. This is so great. This is wonderful. And the very next day, they're closing down the business. What? And you go back, you go like, why'd you get saved? No, you don't do that. You're like, yes, Lord. And then, oh, no, Lord. You get to that high point. Such a great, awesome victory. And it's in these times that we need to look out. Times of great success. We need to be on the lookout because Satan is waiting around the corner to cut you down to size. The Bible says that he's roaming about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You probably think that verse is for everyone else, don't you? Seeking whom he might devour but me. And yet, those of you that are making progress, those of you that see victory, it doesn't have to even be a super victory. It doesn't even have to be something like Mount Carmel. It could be a lot of, isn't life made up of a lot of little victories? A lot of little progress, a lot of little steps of obedience. And you're just in that zone and God is using you and you're taking this step and you're making this progress. And, and it's just, man, little progress, little by little. Even, even in those times where you make three steps forward, two steps back, three steps forward, listen, the enemy wants to, to take us out. And that's what he's doing to Elijah with just simple words, that testing of our faith. It's interesting to me, all these, as much as we have these little progress, we also have these little tests. They're not so big like Jezebel. They're often little tests. A little test to compromise, a little test to fear, a little test to go backwards, a little test to get angry, a little test to speak our mind. All these little tests, they're like little foxes that love to spoil the vines and eat away at who we are in the Lord. You may have some great victory in some huge thing and then trip up in the smallest of things. You just such great victory and overwhelming progress. And then it's the littlest thing that cuts you back down to size and humbles you and reminds you of your utter need for the Lord in your life. You can come out of some dynamic spiritual victory and spiritual high and think, oh, yes, this is it. Let's just stay on the mountaintop, Lord. And then some foolish little thing will rob your joy and steal away the blessing and bring you down, down, farther down than where you were when you started. That's where Elijah is. If it happened to Elijah, you can be sure it happens to us. Elijah's a man like us, experiencing great power, but now great despair. Notice verse four. So quick too. We're not talking years here. We're talking moments. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat, this is verse four, down under the broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough Now, Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. 
And then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals. This guy's always getting food delivered to him. (laughs) And a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey's too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Jezebel, the shrewd manipulator that she was, no doubt saw the vulnerability in Elijah's life. He was at a vulnerable time. He was mentally, emotionally, and spiritually exhausted. We read chapter 18 and study half the chapter in 40 minutes. But it, did, it took a lot longer than 40 minutes for this all to go down. And it took a lot longer than 40 minutes for him to slay 400 prophets. And it took him a lot longer to rest and recuperate. And he's at a weak point in his life as much as he's at a strong point because he's still human. And she recognizes the weakness and takes advantage of it. Just like the enemy. Just like the devil himself. She takes advantage of a man's weakness to attempt to utterly destroy him. You don't need to read ahead, but I'm going to let you know. She doesn't succeed. Can I get an amen on that? Because the devil's not going to succeed for you either. In your weak time, in your weak moment, even if someone is the tool in the enemy's hands to try to utterly destroy you by faith, you're going to make it. That is Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. I can't help but think someone needed to hear this today. And perhaps that someone is you. You can hear the message in its entirety online at calvaryaurora.org. Just search for God will meet you when you're down. Ed, in today's lesson, we learn that God will meet us in a special way when we're down and discouraged like Elijah. As you know, that's what a lot of people deal with during the Christmas season. Would you take a moment to pray for that person that's in a season of discouragement or depression? Larry, I would love to take a moment and pray for those that are just under the weight of their emotions because of the holidays. And if, you, if that's you, uh, just know that God loves you and that he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And even the discouragement and the difficulty is a reminder of the weakness of your own humanity, the weakness of what the Bible would call your flesh, to remind you to draw near and draw upon the strength of God. Remember Paul when he was in that place of being down, just like Elijah, you know, he cried out for the thorn that he was feeling to be taken away. And the answer was, it's not going to be taken away, but instead I'm going to give you more of myself. My grace is sufficient for thee and you learn of the sufficiency of God. And so God, I, I do pray for those that are discouraged or even depressed, especially as the holidays approach, uh, the circumstances of their life, the difficulties they're facing. Uh, It could be grief and the weight and the heaviness of grief, God, that you would bring encouragement to them, that you would brighten their day, that you would reveal yourself in a new and fresh way. God, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon them, that they would know that they're not alone, that you are with them, and that your word continues to speak to them, and that, God, you would have your way filling every day with a sense of your Uh, purposes in their life, and just meet them right where they're at and protect them, God, from themselves as emotions have a tendency just to overwhelm us. And uh, even when we don't want to be overwhelmed, we want to be filled with your Spirit. So God, I pray for the discouraged and the depressed. Would you be a strength to them 
and reveal yourself in a fresh way, reminding them of your faithfulness, your goodness, and your graciousness in Jesus' name. Amen. This month, we've picked out a timely resource we think you'll enjoy. It would even make a great gift or stocking stuffer. It's The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Sort of like a journalist, Lee Strobel investigates the biggest story in history. Is there credible evidence that Jesus is the Son of God and Savior of the world? Lee asks and answers the sort of questions a skeptic would pose. What will be your verdict in The Case for Christ? We'll send it your way when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Please remember this radio ministry is made possible through the generous support of listeners like you. We don't like to make a big deal about it, but it is important that we hear from you as this year draws to a close. Even if you're not in a position to be able to give, that's okay. You can still voice your support by just letting us know you listen, and that would be huge. Call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryaurora.org. Coming up on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day on Abounding Grace, we'll be sharing a special Christmas message from Pastor Ed Taylor. It's called Jesus Christ, the Never-Ending Gift. We hope you can join us for that. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado. 